Hey, this is Jim, and you're listening to the podcast edition of the Jim Toth Show. Hear us live weekday afternoons from 1 till 3. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Five missing or murdered women in the past uh, just over a month here, and that's what we're going to continue the conversation with now. Dodie Jordan is executive director of Ghani Ghanichek at Velma House. Uh, good afternoon, Dodie. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Um, I really appreciate it, too, because uh, we contacted you and uh, Bernadette Smith could only join me at 1.15 to talk about her sister, Claudette Osborne, and you were gracious enough to wait uh, 15 minutes to join me. So thank you for that. Um, let's just start with what Velma House does. Yeah, no problem. Uh, Velma's, Velma's House is a, is a 24-7 safe space for women and those who identify as female. And it is a, it's the first one of its kind in Winnipeg. Winnipeg was the last uh, major city to have a 24-7 safe space. So it's critical that, um, that there is such a space in Winnipeg right now. And I don't want to speak for Bernadette Smith, but while she was speaking with us, I, I kind of seemed like this is the kind of place that she would like to see more of. And, and, and that would help offset the problem of these uh, headlines we keep seeing and these cases we keep hearing about with the missing and murdered Indigenous women. Absolutely. When we um, look at the calls to justice, the, the 231 calls to justice, we heard thousands of voices from families and survivors who who express the the immediate need for 24/7 safe space so so more is absolutely needed um uh, our goal was to reach 850 women um in a, every year and we've reached 4500 women already so just those numbers alone tell us how great the need is yeah, I wanted to ask you that. So thank you for bringing that up. Just how how big the need is and what you are seeing firsthand. You touched on a few numbers there. Can you get into more uh, maybe some of the integral parts of, of what you're seeing uh, week in, week out, day in, day out at Velma House? Yes, for many, for many women and those who identify as female, um, having a place like Velma's might be the first safe space they've ever accessed. Um, we, you know, statistics tell us that that women don't access shelters because they're unsafe, even for women. And so um, many, many people will stay in unsafe relationships or or unsafe living environments and subject to um, continuous um, exploitation, sexual exploitation and violence. So so having a space like Velma's, people can come, have a rest, have a shower, have a meal and connect to resources in the city. I, is the need growing? Is that maybe one of the, the biggest issues too, is it, with all this sort of awareness and, and all this work that is being done um, by people such as yourselves and your organization, uh, is, it, is it, I mean, you're clearly helping, but is, it, is the disappointing part of it getting worse? Is there more and more people needing this and women? Um, well, well, for sure, losing five women is is telling us that there is a crisis happening, and and we need to address it now. But but there are a lot of um, individuals who are seeking Indigenous-led supports and services, like Gani Gani Chik, um, that that may come from similar backgrounds and and are very aware of of the the same types of trauma and the same types of um, difficulties that people have faced 
um, and using Indigenous ways of being and doing as, and Western approaches to healing and wellness. So, so the need is increasing because there are none like it at all in the city. And we see, um, you know, Indigenous relatives coming from all over Manitoba seeking supports in Winnipeg um, and getting here and not having them. And, and so it's important that, that this, this Valmas house doesn't just um, meet the needs of, of people living in Winnipeg, but all over Manitoba. Good to know. Uh, so now I want to get into what you sort of brought up. Uh, f- five cases in the past just over a month. Uh, what is the reaction to that at, at the house and some of the women that are there? I can't imagine, like we had Bernadette on to talk about how it just brings right back to 2008 when her sister disappeared. I can't imagine what these cases making the headlines so often in the past month or so um, is affecting what you do and, and, and what some of the people that are taking part in the program there at Velma House, uh, how it makes them feel. Yeah, it's heartbreaking, especially because the the women who work at Valmont House are are women who who have lived experience, and so to to lose additional community members in this way is heartbreaking, and it it makes us all want to do more and figure out how to do more, um, which is why we're why we've been talking about the need for Valmont House to be um, funded twenty four seven. Um, it, it is because we are seeing what's happening and it is heartbreaking. And we, we see all, all these women as our relatives, as our, uh, you know, fellow Manitobans and, 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 and we need to do more. And, and I would understand that it would be a grieving process, uh, especially with the number of cases this past month. Yesterday, we heard more about Rebecca Quantois' case. Um, it has to be tough to hear and see these cases when you're sort of the, some of the people that have been through some of these um, abusive beha- uh, situations and, and needing the, this help. It can't be easy to hear these. No, absolutely it's not. And the um, the profound part of it is is that there are opportunities for um, for families to reach out to organizations like Gani 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 Chick and other Indigenous led organizations to do to do healing group to do vigils to do marches and to come together in that mourning process and mourn together. And what more can be done in your mind? You're on the front line, so to speak. Uh, what more would you like to see done? What more is needed? Thelma's house is, is in desperate need of a secure location. And so right now we, we're using temporary space, but it only allows 10 people in the building at a time, um, including staff. It's not accessible. It has, you know, infestation with rodents and requires a lot of daily um, um, uh, fixing. And, and, and so we're in desperate need of a permanent location that's more accessible that is safe and and um, accommodating for more people and one of the the needs was to have our space be supported for 24 7 so we are we were very excited to have federal government um, under women and gender equity provide some emergency services or emergency funding so that we could be open 24 um, 7. We were up until two days ago, we were only able to be open for 15 hours a day. And we know women are needing 24 hour um, access. 
So we need a space and we need long-term sustainable funding. So we're grateful for emergency funding, but we need long-term sustainable funding. So we're asking community, we're asking everybody to come together, um, donate if you can, uh, build relationships with Indigenous-led organizations like Gane Gane Chikso so that we can um, work together on, on providing support and services. And how can people do that? They can get to or go to our website and connect with us in that way. We have a Belmont House connection through our website, www.ganaganichik.ca. And we're all ready to help in any way we can. And also, how can people, if they're in need of your service, that might be hearing this, uh, reach out to you? In the same way. And Ganaganichik is, is the host. This Belmont House came together because of the women with lived and living experience, because of the survivors. They were the one that lobbied to government to start Belmont House. They brought a bunch of organizations together. Gani Gani Chik just is just the host of that. But those organizations, you can contact any Indigenous-led organization in Winnipeg and we'll be able to connect you with Belmont House. That's great too. And tell us, Gani Gani Chik, what does that stand for? That's that means those who lead or those who are going forward in Cree. And so, and so it is our community who are leading us to, to, to provide the support, the love, the services, the care that we absolutely can. And we, and we are standing beside our community to do that. And I appreciate you sharing all that and all this information and, and the insight of, of what you're seeing. Uh, any final message uh, on this topic as we go forward? I think what we're what what we've been talking about with with many people is is it, now's the time to do our work to understand um, and and find a way to come together. It's all of our responsibility to support everybody, and so I just encourage people to reach out to to Indigenous led organizations and and start building those relationships. Dodi Jordan, Executive Director of Gani Gani Chick and uh, Vel- at Velma House. We appreciate your time and especially your insight. Thank you for doing this today. Miigwech, thank you for having me. Yesterday, I was talking about volunteers and uh, just noticing that whether it was with the marathon or the golf tournament I was at this past week, um, and hearing from a lot of people just about how volunteers have sort of dropped off. And I got a, a text from uh, Carl Schoenrock of Kismet Creek Farm, and I thought this was a fascinating conversation to have. So Carl joins me now. Good afternoon, Carl. How are you? Good. And yourself, Jim? Th- good, thank you. Did I get Schoenrock correct? You did. You did. You did really good with that. Well, we're going to have to write that one down because I'm more often than not uh, getting needing two or three tries. So thanks for this. Look, you reached out yesterday, but before we get into the, the issue that you're facing right now, tell us about Kismet Creek Farm, where it's at and what you do. Sure. Um, well, Kismet Creek Farm is, uh, we're a petting farm and sanctuary that's six miles south of Steinbeck. Um, so basically what we do, we take in farm animals, um, animals that really don't have that many other places to go and we keep them for the rest of their lives and on the weekends we open up as a petting farm and educate people about all the animals give them tours um, take them let them touch them the kids go right into the small animal area Um, and then for some of the larger animals um, we actually get um, some food donated to us and uh, we're allowing the, the kids and the people to, to, to feed some of our larger animals. 
uh, like the pigs, the cows, the horses, and that's become really popular lately. Um, but we also do field trips and stuff like that when, when I, when, when I do have time, but I still work during the week. So it's just the weekends really that we're open right now. I hope to open more, but again, it's the needing of the volunteers to help make that happen. Right. And, and obviously that's going to get into what, uh, you've been seeing. Um, you, you don't have an issue with volunteers coming back. You have an issue for this whole pandemic that you just can't get any. Yeah, no, it's been, uh, a real struggle since the pandemic first started, you know, people were a little leery, even though our business is primarily outside. And uh, so a lot of people just haven't come back, haven't reached out. Maybe their situation's changed. I don't really have time to go and recontact them all and, and, and try to see what their issue is. Um, I just, you know, try to keep carrying on with what I do at the farm and I try and reach out as much as I can. Actually, this Saturday, we're doing a kind of a volunteer drive and getting some people coming out in the morning, hopefully, um, depending on weather. Um, that's been postponed a few times already um, and seeing if they can help clean up a little bit and, you know, get us ready for uh, the weekend and the busy summer. And so what are you hearing from from those you, you ask? And I, I, I was yesterday when you were listening and reached out, I'm trying to do this in the most respectful way. If people don't want to volunteer anymore, like that's okay. Like it's not that you have to or you're, you're, you're letting people down. But I'm just curious in general why people have stopped. And what are, what are you hearing? Well, especially lately, it has just been gas prices because uh, surprisingly enough, the majority of my volunteers come from the city. Um, so, you know, it's it's a big commute to do with the, the gas where, where it's at right now to come out, do a, a couple hour shift or something and, and, and drive back to the city. Um, that's been it mainly. And then just, you know, kind of the uncertainty of, of it all, like same as myself, I wanted to open up during the week this year, but I didn't know if COVID would make around four or five or I don't know even know what we're up to. But, you know, I can uh, being shut down and, you know, people want to volunteer, but then you're shut down from due to COVID and then, you know, nobody's really allowed to come. And it's just been, you know, kind of up and down. And then, you know, people forget about you. You know, it's been a rough couple of years, um, not to mention even a rough winter. Um, lots of snow coming in, clearing snow, cold and and the spring hasn't been the greatest either so far. Yeah, no, I, I understand all those reasons, and I think they're all valid. So I, I understand why these would affect what you're trying to do and, and stuff. Um, and, and so what has it been like trying to recruit? I, I know you don't have a lot of time to do it, but also it, this is kind of a dire need for you in the animals right now. Oh, yeah, very. Like, the, the more we can get volunteers down and help us out, the more we can actually educate people that are coming in. So that is a big thing. But then, you know, even helping out with some of the animal care, checking up on them, uh, coming during the day, you know, uh, because I'm not around, I'm busy working in my construction job. So, you know, it's nice to have a volunteer pop in during the week. You know, everything kind of helps in that regard. So what what do you need um, out there? Let's let's get into, I think you said 10 or 12 volunteers to help it, it go is what you're looking for, or what you've had in the past. And what would those um, uh, volunteering or looking at this saying, you know what, I'd like to do that. What would you need from them to do? Well, it, it, a lot of it's not really a need. Like I'm, my farm is open and relaxed and even the volunteers, I want to make them really relaxed and enjoy themselves. So, you know, the majority of your time is, you know, cuddling animals that are coming up to you um, as you're trying to, you know, scoop up poop or something. I don't mind because that's that's all part of it as well, socializing the animals for people so that they actually come running up to them. But, you know, 
I need help in almost every area. I have uh, one or two, two of the volunteers helping me out with some of this online social media stuff. Um, but there's there's always you know stuff to build, new structures that need to get done, uh, tours. Like again, the big thing is just I want to you know teach every everybody about the animals and some of their their benefits, some of their points. Like I just want to you know get the really the kids involved and get hands on so they can understand a lot of these animals and see them the way they're supposed to be where they're as pets they're acting like pets or they're happy when you're petting them and and everything so it's it is a stress-free um volunteering opportunity um i have started getting one or two families in the last uh, little while, you know, want to help out, but then, you know, somebody's sick and then, you know, the whole household doesn't want to come out. So, you know, 10 to 12 volunteers is great, but I need that 10 to 12 consistent. So, you know, I need upwards of 30, you know, just to be able to have that sort of uh, coverage. Right, exactly. And I like what you said there, Carl. I think that's appealing to a lot of people. It's not just like coming up and cleaning up after animals. It's um, you're part of this. Like it's it's a way to spend time with animals and just sort of help as you're there, it sounds like. Yeah, and and I, I've been encouraging families to come out, mom, dad, you know, kids come out, you know, spend time together outside doing something good and, you know, enjoying yourselves. You know, we have picnic tables and everything else there so they can come, they bring a snack, they do some uh, some cleaning and everything, then they go out, look at the animals again and maybe do a little bit more, you know, it's it's getting that family connection. That's really what I'm striving for. Really, what is needed because you saw so so little of that family connection during COVID and extended family and everything else. And and people are are being a little bit too sheltered in. And we need to open up again and get people talking to each other, having a good time, and and you know, seeing animals never never hurts anybody. Yeah, exactly. I understand what you're saying. Uh, tell people how they can get involved, uh, not only with you, but maybe this volunteer drive to if they just want to are curious and check it out on Saturday. Yeah, no, we, we do have a, a post on Instagram and on Facebook, so you can go to Kismet Creek Farm uh, on Facebook or Instagram. We're, we're right there, and you can see some of the posts and the recent animals we, we have saved. Um, you can also email me at kismetcreekfarm at outlook.com. And then, you know, that's that little email traffic that it's easier to, to follow than uh, getting everybody to, to call me or text me. And then, you know, I don't know the names or anything associated with it and some of the background. We can go back and forth a little bit more. Right. And I don't want to be too pessimistic, but if you don't get some help, um, you're going to have to make some decisions with the animals, aren't you? I am. I don't want to. Um, there have been... You know, uh, uh, there was uh, another sanctuary that is shutting down. There are more that are hurting because, you know, you just don't have the funds. And, you know, with being shut down almost for, for two years, hit and miss with COVID and then bad winter, bad spring, you know, nobody's coming out. And that's how I get my money to be able to save the animals and feed the animals and care for the animals. If I don't have that coming in, you know, I might have to make a tough decision after the end of summer and then, how do I try to rehome almost a hundred different farm animals that, you know, will go to loving homes. It's, it's, it's impossible actually. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's see if we, there's some people out there that, that hear this and, and want to help out and, and can help you out and, and make this thing uh, keep going at Kismet Creek farms. Carl, I really appreciate yeah. taking the time. I know you oh, go ahead. No, I, I was going to say, you know what, 
if, if anybody wants to, they can just come out and visit the farm and see if it's something you want to do. You don't have to reach out first. Come and visit, you know, get a tour of the animals. Then you can actually see what's going on and what the benefit is. That is the best way to be able to understand what I do and what the farm is all about. Excellent stuff. We appreciate it, Carl. Best of luck to you out there and uh, hope everything gets uh, goes well and you find some people that can help out. Thanks a lot, Jim, for uh, bringing this up. Derek Taylor live from our nation's capital. Big game tomorrow. The rematch between the Red Blacks and the Bombers joins me now. Voice of the uh, Bombers on 680 CJOB. Am I just seeing this right, Derek, that there is a CFL fantasy lineup that you got Doug Brown into? Oh, yeah, I got Doug. He he finished 100th in our league. Uh, Let me confirm just how many people are, in fact, in the league. Uh, He finished 100th out of 128 this past week, but... As a guy who finished 88th, I can't feel any. Uh, I, I can't. I can't pretend I'm much better than Doug after week number one. Of all the years, this is shocking to me. Of all the years that I've known Doug, and whenever fantasy sports comes up and it's a billion dollar industry, he just looks at me like, "What's next? Dungeons and Dragons, Toth? Like I can't believe you got him into this. Well, I teased him with the fact that uh, gambling markets around the Canadian Football League are very inefficient, and I think that stoked the fire for him. There's, there's money to be made in wagering on the CFL. So I, and then this one was kind of like, hey, if I'm going to help you with this part, you've got to help me with the fantasy thing. So he's reluctantly <laughs> joining in. Well, it's, a, it's a quid pro quo. Well, that's good, and hopefully it doesn't get out of hand like in the major leagues of baseball where Tommy Pham has just spoken about the rift between him and Jock Peterson, and the quote is, I've got no regrets, none at all. Jock deserved to be slapped over their fantasy football league. So... Do you do you get like that with sports? Like, um, there's there's guys that, that that passionately defend their team, and if you say a bad thing about their team, they're going to scream at you or slapping dudes over fantasy football. Like, do you get like that at all? That's is the story that keeps on giving. To be honest with you, oh, and yeah. for for every spouse who shakes their head at any person that takes fantasy sports too seriously. I don't, Derek, but I probably have in the past. Like, I I got started when I moved to Winnipeg, and our friend Hustler was begging me. Well, not begging me, but saying, dude, you have to get into this, blah, blah, blah. And I did one season, and it really helped what we do. Like, it really helped me understand all the players, the deaf players in the league, everything else. So I kind of got into it then. But some of the arguments that come out of a fantasy league, no matter the sport, with people who are friends – I've seen people not talk to each other for months over fantasy football. Yeah, and I, I just can't. I can't go it's that ridiculous. deep. It's ridiculous. I, I was in a fantasy league last season, and ever, a, a guy offered me 55 trades during the course of the year, and I'm like, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't want this. No, I'm, I don't want to give you two for one. No, I don't. No, no. So I, I, I respect the people that do it and are combing the waiver wire, but like this CFL fantasy for me, and join right now, uh, just search up 680CJOB. Uh, you pick your lineup once during, you know, before the week, and you watch the week transpire. You watch the Bombers win, and uh, you watch yourself uh, profit with that. There's no money involved whatsoever, so it's for fun. But it, it, you're right, and it, it, it does. You get to know the players a little better and go, oh, well, well, what is that guy on that team? Oh, I should take a look. And it's, it's a nice way, and honestly, it, it's, it's a nice way to help bring younger folks into the game as well because if you like fantasy, maybe you'll like CFL fantasy football, and maybe you'll stick around and listen to the whole game.
Yeah, I'm excited, and I'm going to join, and I hope all our listeners do too. It's going to be a fun part of the CFL season, especially our U Bomber fans. So, uh, be be make sure you check it out and and get in on it. And my whole goal will be finish 99th if Doug finishes 100. That's my only goal. I don't care as long as it's one place ahead of him. That'll be my goal. Our rosters are out for tomorrow night's game. Jackson Jeffcoat is back. Uh, tell us about it. Yeah, Jeff Coat missed the first week with a with an ankle problem. He hadn't trained much during training camp, so it wasn't a huge surprise to see him miss last week, but he is back, and when we talked to him on Tuesday, you could just see he's ready to go. He's ready to go out there and crush people. And, I mean, that's what Jackson Jeff Coat does, is they were trying to figure out who's the defensive player of the year in the CFL, much less on the Bombers. You know, Jackson Jeff Coat is a guy who, by my count, led the league in quarterback pressures. This past season, there was no one better at getting after the quarterback than Jackson Jeffcoat. And uh, to to not have him for a game, it wasn't crippling, right? Because the Bombers still won. But now you're you're back out there with Jeffcoat and Willie Jefferson, two of the. I was trying to figure today: are they two of the best three defensive ends in the game? Are they two of the best two defensive ends in the game? Uh, either way, having both those guys out there and be able to work off one each other, one another is going to be a real nice plus in a situation where Ottawa was not letting uh, letting the Bombers get after the quarterback at uh, virtually at all last week. Well, that's what I was looking at. It's not just Jackson Jeffcoat's back, but how his presence might help Willie Jefferson this week. Oh, it, it absolutely can't hurt, right? And Willie, we talked to Willie today, and he mentioned, we asked him about, you know, Jeremiah Masoli would get that ball out real quick last week. Obviously, there were some some deep shots when they found one-on-one, but uh, he would get that ball out real quick. And, and Willie said, you know, if we can't get there, we're going to have to just be knocking down passes. And you go, well, those are two guys I would really like to have doing that or potentially uh, dropping underneath and maybe taking one away that way. But uh, just harassing Masoli in any way you can because to see him put up 380 last week in, in a game where that could have been well over 400 yards if that one ball is caught, you know that's that's got that's got to change. The Bombers' defense has to change that tomorrow. Yeah, I was going to say the the three eighty that could have been and should have been probably a lot more too. That will help. Uh, what other lineup changes are you looking at, especially in the quarterback depth? Well, Joe Mancuso is back, and he's a guy who was uh, a late add to training camp, and then went home. The Bombers put him on the suspended list, but with Dakota Prukop's injury at some point early in the game uh, last week. Joe Mancuso back up with the team when practice started this week. Coach O'Shea said, I don't expect him to do a ton in the game. We asked about short yardage, and of course O'Shea will, will always say, wait to see the game. Uh, but he also added in that, you know, even on short notice, a guy could go in and do short yardage. So uh, Mancuso could well take up for uh, what Dakota Prukop was giving the Bombers in short yardage. Will they ask that of Drew Brown? You know, you'd probably like to have Brown was really good last week, right? You you don't he's not going to replace Zach Kolaris, but is there value he could contribute? Might it be in that short yardage, you know, ball at the one, sneak it in as Prukop did last week? Uh, that'll be something to watch. You just, I mean, we're all we're all here praying that Joe Mancuso never gets into the game, right? Because Zach just throws for four hundred and the Bombers win by ten. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what do you make of this matchup again? Because uh, as we've been talking throughout the week, and I know you joined me on Monday. Um, I think Ottawa raised a lot of eyebrows, raised a lot of surprises, not only against the Bombers, but around the league. Um, probably going to be a little bit better even at home. Uh, the Bombers uh, got outplayed for for most of that game. This this is an interesting rematch for me. Well, and, and I wasn't joking before last week's game when I was saying, hey, this might be a preview of the Grey Cup. Like, Ottawa 
roster-wise, they added some really nice players. And even, I mean, average to great players to an established coaching staff of uh, Paul Apolise, who's been in the CFL for a couple of decades, and Mike Benavides, the defensive coordinator, who's been around forever, and Bob Dice, Winnipeg's finest, who's special teams coordinator. They gave them some real nice players to work with this season, and you, and you saw the results of absolutely toe-to-toe with the Great Cup champions. Um, it, it's If you're an Ottawa Redbacks fan, you, can wa- you could have left that game going, yeah, you know what, we probably should have won that because the drop and because we goofed up the field goal at the end of the halftime and, oh, we didn't convert a third down. So I, I think for, for all of us expecting that the Bombers are going to be better in this game, and I, and I absolutely do because – it's week two, and they saw the things that, that went bad. I fully expect the Red Blacks to, to be better in this game as well. So if you, if you believe home field advantage is a real, a real thing, uh, Ottawa's you know, not the favorite in this game, but it's, it's not far from like a pick em in that you can just flip a coin and see who's going to win. It's, it's going to be – I'm super excited. How will the Bombers control Jeremiah Masoli? will be, for me, the first thing to watch. Yeah, I'm excited, too, and I agree with you. I think the Bombers will get better than they were last Friday, but so will the Red Blacks, too. And, and I kind of like Mike O'Shea's thoughts on, well, first of all, I love this his thoughts on, well, your record against this team in this month is this, and how he sort of shot that down. But um, he doesn't mind back-to-back games and, and sort of looking at the game tape of the team you just prepared for and making those adjustments. It's kind of something, as a coach, it sounds like excites him. Well, yeah, and, and he mentioned that, you know, when you, when you have to do all that prep work, you're going through the, the tape and the film for, for hours, right? And your coaches are writing down, okay, well, they're doing exactly this at exactly this time, and this was the result, and then they go back and compile that. But in a week like this, most of that work is already done. So you can focus on coaching, and you can focus on installing things that you want to see. And, I mean, if you are Buck Pierce, if you are Paul Apolise, the offensive coordinators, well, what little wrinkle are we going to put in here? What formation are we going to throw out that they haven't seen yet that, that I don't mind showing off in week number two? There, there's the potential for it to be – I mean, last week's game, it wasn't the prettiest, but, man, it was fun. So there's the potential for just as much fun in this one and you know, possibly with a couple more offenses that are, that are a little more put together. Right, exactly. Uh, pre-game is tomorrow at 4.30. Right before I let you go, tell us about the pre-game. There's some new things in it uh, uh, that are quite enjoyable. Tell us about your pre-game. Well, tell me which ones you're, you're loving, and I'll, I'll well, remind you, I'll promise I'll have to drop the other ones. Like, <laughs> uh, our own Chris Turton is doing well, a little that, That's what I, like, I, to be honest with you, I listened to about an hour and ten minutes of the pregame, and the one segment I missed was Marissa's, and I ran into her at the station this week, and she's like, yeah, I love my new segment. Derek was so generous and, and uh, helped me put it together, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm, it sounded great, and I didn't, I didn't hear that part of it, so that's why I wanted to talk about it. Yeah, so uh, Marissa Turton, who uh, by listeners know, does a little Did You Know segment a couple times in the pregame show, just a little more in-depth on, on one of the players. Uh, we have a big number, just a number for something that's going to be poignant in the, in the game. You know, we have the good folks at Power dropping in to give us their thoughts on the game. Uh, this week we'll start, uh, I'm thinking of calling it just Winnipeg's finest. It's a, it's a catchphrase I I used to use, uh, you know, old job and at uh, at Sports Center. You just just highlighting Winnipeggers and Manitobans who are around the CFL and doing great things, even if it's not for the Bombers. So we get a chance to go in depth with uh, Bob Dice, the defensive, co- pardon me, the special teams coordinator of the Red Blacks. Man, we got fantasy. We've got your we've got all your your gambling tips in a little you know fan friendly segment as well. Uh, no uh, no end to the number of things we can do in that two hours, and ultimately. 
Uh, we get great information from Doug Brown and Ed Tate, so uh, Ted Wyman as well. So, yeah, there's a, there's a ton to join us for. You just, just two hours before, just flip on the radio and just never turn it off. That's, that's my advice. Exactly. That's what I was saying to you, too. Now, I did because uh, I had something to do, but I won't this week because I want to catch all the segments. Thanks, Derek. We appreciate it. We'll listen for you and Doug and everybody else tomorrow starting at 430. Thanks, brother.